Hey, if you're an actor at the start of your career, or if you're an actor who hasn't started at all, no judgment. But I do want you to know that it has never been a better time to get started with Backstage. Just go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code word envelope at checkout for a 30-day free trial. That's 30 whole days you can browse through thousands of casting notices from thousands of filmmakers, producers, casting directors, all looking for talent just like you. Make a profile, upload a headshot, find out what kind of projects you want to be a part of. Backstage is where you book that very first role. It's also where you book that second role, and then that third role, and then you keep booking roles all the way up until you win that Oscar. And then you can come join me here on In the Envelope. We love a full circle moment here at Backstage. But first, you gotta subscribe. And again, that's 30 days free if you use the code word envelope at checkout. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, envelope, 30 days free. Get those roles. And I'll see you back here when I interview you when you win an Oscar. Cannot wait. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. As far as being different, now I'm the same dreamer kid who saw Baloo the Bear in Jungle Book and thought, I don't know what this is, but I want to do that. But when I saw the lion for the first time in The Wiz and I said, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, I want to do that. I want to be on that stage and listen to those people applaud. The first time I heard applause, I was like, that's been my drug since I was five years old. Welcome to another episode of In the Envelope, the Actors Podcast. I am your host, Backstage Senior Editor, Vinny Mancuso, and joining us today is one of Broadway's biggest personalities, the great, the wonderful, James Monroe Eichelhart. Now, many of you might know James from the role that won him his Tony, uh, the Genie, in Aladdin on Broadway, or his run as Thomas Jefferson in Hamilton, Uh, But what he's doing right now is honestly one of the most impressive things I've ever seen from an actor, stage, screen, or otherwise. Uh, Let me break this down quickly. Uh, He is currently starring in the musical A Wonderful World as jazz legend Louis Armstrong, which first opened in New Orleans on October 6th and Chicago on October 13th. And then James, starting on October 31st, will be playing King Arthur in Spamalot on Broadway a role he recently played at the Kennedy Center. Uh, So he has pretty much been hopping on planes, traveling from state to state to do back-to-back lead musical performances while essentially preparing for both at the same time. Wild. Truly, truly wild. Uh, And it was an absolute delight getting to talk to James about all of it, what it takes to pull something like that off, both personally and as an actor, uh, and most importantly, why he's not taking any of this for granted. Uh, Let's get right into it. Here is 
James Monroe Iglehart. James, thank you so much for being here. How's it going? Going very well. Thanks, Vinny. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to meet you. Um, I saw you in Aladdin uh, in 2014, I want to yeah, say. That's right. uh, yeah, yeah, that's I, right. Uh, I, still, I still cite that as one of the craziest things I've ever seen <laughs> an actor did. Just <laughs> from like a pure stamina, <laughs> from a pure just... Uh, so I all this time later, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you. It's one of my, literally one of my favorite moments of my entire, not just career, but entire life. I had so much fun uh, playing that role. Um, he was a, he, you know, Gene's a childhood hero of mine. So being able to step into those shoes, I still don't really have the words for it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's impressive. But I also, I am really just trying to wrap my head around uh, the last few months you've you've been having. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 kind of hard to describe. You are in... A wonderful world yes uh, playing louis armstrong yes i am uh, that recently premiered in new orleans uh, mm -hmm. and also recently premiered in chicago we're in chicago right now yes amazing and you are also <laughs> seemingly simultaneously <laughs> in spin a lot returning to broadway uh starting october 31st is previews i believe that is very true so you are uh, country hopping, uh, or I, I should say state hopping. You state are hopping, yes. Show hopping. Uh, yes. Tell me, tell me how this came about. Let's start from the beginning, I suppose. <laughs> so um, I was working on, I've been a, a part of Louis Armstrong for a little bit. Uh, what happened was, uh, quick story, during the pandemic, I was watching, um, as we all were at Netflix, just trying to find how many shows we could binge. And my wife and I have been wanting to binge uh, Ken Burns Jazz for a long time. Yes. And, you know, some, it's one of those shows where you go, I need to watch that, but you just never do. And finally, we're like, yeah, we ain't got nothing to do. Let's do it now. <laughs> so um, the first three episodes are all about Louis Armstrong because, you know, he's one of the you know, main pillars of jazz. And I got so excited and thought that was really, really cool. And so long story short, I called my reps. I said, is anybody doing a show about Louis Armstrong? If not, we should make one. Someone was. I said, contact me. We contacted me and I became a part of it. So we've been working on this show, trying to get it to where it is now. At the same time, I started doing some really cool things at the Kennedy Center mm -hmm. and got to do, uh, you know, the 50th anniversary of Broadway. Also, we got some guys and dolls and their producer, Jeffrey Friend, calls me and says, hey, we're doing spam a lot. Would you like to play the king? And I was like, of course I would, especially because I want I finally get to act with my friends, Rob McClure, Alex Brightman and Nick Walker. I was like, great, I'm doing that. So that was supposed to be just that, just spam a lot at the King Center, nothing else. And I was going to jump into Louis, and I had some other projects I was going to do. Then Louis got already signed to do New Orleans and Chicago, pre-Broadway run. That's where we're going. And then I get a call from my agent, but <laughs> Spamalot's going to Broadway, and they want you. And I was like, that's impossible. I can't do it. Why would they? Why won't they just wait? Let's just do it two years from now. Maybe wait. I don't know. And they were like, nope, it has to come in this year. They do it this year. They want you. And I was like, if by the grace of God, you can make this happen, we'll figure I doubt they'll say yes, but you never know. Sure enough, the companies got together and worked out a crazy schedule where I have no days off for the rest of my life um, <laughs> <laughs> to be able to figure out how to do this. So what happens is I'm in Chicago. I do the shows. I fly out. I go to rehearsal. I rehearse for a couple of days. Then I get back on the plane, fly back out to Chicago, do my show, and I'm back and forth. And so on the last day, uh, the fun part is this is this is common knowledge. On the last day of Louis Armstrong here, which is the 29th, 
Mm-hmm. I'll be flying out the 29th. And that Monday of the 30th, I get my put in, I'm in the show, and we open on the 31st. That's that's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. We, uh, I just, I'm just realizing we we very recently had uh, Alex Brightman on the show. Um, yes. And he was, <laughs> that he also, he auditioned for The Shark is Broken while he was doing Spamalot. Yes. We were talking, re- I remember that day, we were, uh, our dressing room was right next to each other. I said, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm getting ready for this callback. I'm doing The Shark is Broken. I said, oh my God, that's so cool. So he goes early in the morning and then comes back that night to the show. And he was like, I think I did a good job. I think I did a good job. And we found out a couple of days later, he got it. We were like, there you go. Well, I don't, I don't know great. if they put it in the water during the spam a lot. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> all over the country, there's nothing but energy. So I, I, I am curious, you know, like, before we talk about the process itself, I'm curious, when you're in a time like this, that is just pure booked, pure busy, no day, like you said, no days off, how often do you think about, you know, when it wasn't like that? When, when at the very beginning? Oh, often, often. I think about it to remind myself how blessed I am right now. So whenever there, I never want to get too big for my britches and never want to think, yeah, that's right. I deserve this. Yeah, I'm booked. I'm booked all the time. I want to remember the times and appreciate this time because there were moments where I wasn't booked at all and no one knew who I was. And everybody mispronounced my name and called me Eagleheart, even though there's no in in my name. And I would have to correct them. And I remember having, I remember correcting a lady and saying, no, it's Eagleheart. And she looked me dead in my face and said, are you sure? <laughs> how are you going to ask me, am I sure about how to say my own name? So, you know, I definitely do think about those days quite often to remind myself of how awesome this time is and to not take it for granted that I get to do two fabulous shows, you know, at the same time and that people are willing to, um, you know, take the, you know, the risk of allowing me to do this because that's what theater is. You know, professional theater is a risk. It's fun, but it is a risk. And so some producers have to, you know, put their money where their mouth is. He says, yeah, this is the guy we want to back. So I definitely think about that a lot. What, do you do you remember what you consider as your sort of breakout moment or the moment where it felt like you were on the way to to a career in the theater and not just, you know, yeah. doing theater? Um, I had a couple of breakout moments. I had a breakout moment in the Bay Area where I was where I was born and raised. I was born in Hayward, California. Mm-hmm. And I was doing shows and my breakout moment in the Bay Area was um, we were doing Grease at American Musical Theater in San Jose. And I played Teen Angel. And uh, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I'll say that let's just say that, the, that a couple of the leads <laughs> guy, guys that were not from the Bay Area, men, I say men specifically, that were from you know New York. And they weren't exactly the nicest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. And so they just assumed they were just going to come to my town and just wreck shop and leave. But what happened was my verb, my teen angel, my one scene was the one, was the only thing that the papers were talking about. And I remember the guy coming into my dressing room, uh, just very like, oh, well, I see everybody talking about you. And I said, well, you know, sometimes people are talented and sometimes people are talented and nice. I'll never forget <laughs> that. And uh, that was my breakout role there. My breakout role in New York, honestly, um, the one that got people to notice me was Memphis the Musical. I played Bobby and it wasn't like people were like, Hey, we want that guy. But it was that people went, Whoa, who is that? He's, he's doing something cool. We should keep an eye on him. And from that is what got me noticed from Aladdin. So it was Memphis, the musical of me having my, you know, my, 
the little, the featured role I had in that, that let New York know, okay, this guy is someone who I think we can, he can, he's going to do something cool. So we should watch for him. And, uh, then of course, once Aladdin happened, all of a sudden people, like I always say, they say, what's the difference between the Aladdin and at, before Aladdin, after Aladdin. And I always say people, but people pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> it's little once things. Aladdin happened. Well, it's the little thing. Once Aladdin happened, I was like, so I would say, you know, my Bay Area breakout and my New York breakout were Greece and then, of course, Memphis. Is there something from those those early breakout performances that 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 you learned from doing them that is still kind of helpful for you today? Yeah, um, to be fearless, to literally just go out there and balls to the wall, just go, okay. Just try something. Try something. Try something nuts and see what happens. If it works, it works. If you crash and burn, at least you know that doesn't work. But go for it and go as big, <laughs> go big or go home. And uh, also, I think the other thing that got me was both of those roles let me know as long as you're having fun, the audience will have fun with you. If if you look like you're you're dying, they're gonna be they're gonna feel like oh my gosh, he's in trouble. But if you look like you're having the time of your life, no matter what you're doing, whether it's uh, a depressing moment or a funny moment or a happy, you know, the audience is like, yeah, they, your energy's there, they're with you. And I learned that with both um, uh, Teen Angel and with Bobby uh, in Memphis and also definitely with Jeannie, you know, just go for it. And, if you, and the audience will get to get so wrapped up in you having a good time, they can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I I love that. I, I I think I've never really thought of it like, Put like that because you know I've I've seen live performances where you know the the performance is quote unquote good, but the actor really looks like they're like going through it, <laughs> and that that really is yeah is 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 palpable. The audience feels that yeah yeah, and they're like that's what I'm saying. It's like one of those things where like it could be funny and people just assume oh my god they're having a great time, but if you're doing something dramatic, people just assume oh my god what a horrible time they're having, and you don't realize yes they are going through it. But they are enjoying every second of it. You have to realize we're actors and we, you can't give us scenery to chew because we will chew it. And if, and if you give us some deep, meaty scene, I mean, we're having a ball. And if we're having a ball, the audience is just on the edge of their seat, like watching, like, oh, they, they can't, they have, and they leave talking about it. Cause right now, you know, I'm doing Louis Armstrong and we have some intense scenes mm-hmm. and I'm having the time of my life playing these moments. Has the I'm trying to think of the, the the best word for it the driving force for doing this changed at all for you you know like I I have to or I guess I shouldn't assume but like is has the goals and the reasons behind doing this changed at all a little bit a little bit yeah um when I when I first started doing this I just wanted to be cool man <laughs> uh, you know I think well, that's the thing. I think, you know, I, I try not to, I, I never want to put words in people's mouths, but I always go, if you find a group of actors, you find either the most egomaniac conceited people in the world, or you find the most insecure people in the world who literally want somebody just to say, I like you. We really just want to be liked. Please clap for me. Please tell me I'm good. You know what I mean? And I think when I first started, I just wanted, you know, my friends to think I was cool. My friends to tell me I was good. You know, I wanted, I, I needed outside help to say, tell me I'm as good as I hope I think I am because I'm insecure and I need people to tell me that. So you first do it. And also, you know, I'm not a football player. I'm not a basketball player. So how do you get the girls? Well, if I'm up on that stage, 
well, yeah, they'll see me <laughs> and I'll sing. And the girls will go, I want to date him because he's singing. So, hey, there you go. So insecurity plus wanting to get girls creates entertainer. So, <laughs> you know, and, um, and then also there's that third factor of all the people telling you, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. You'll never make it. So you got to show them. So you got to fix your own insecurity, want to get the girls and show those people. And then you get to a point where you've, you've got the girl, I've got a beautiful wife of 21 years and I'm not insecure anymore. I mean, of course we all have our own insecurities, but I can't really say, oh God, I don't know if I could do this because I can. And all those people who told you you can't, you don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> so, so what do you do this for? And I had to find a different reason. And now I realize I just love to entertain. I love to tell good stories and I love to see, I love that my superpower is taking an audience away from the regular world for just a little while. You know, there's so many things happening in the world that are hard to see, hard to watch, hard to stomach. And if I can take these folks away from that for just a little bit and entertain them with something ultra silly as Spamalot or something as historical, historically relevant as Louis Armstrong, then I've done my job. If you can pay your hard on money and just get away from the craziness of the world for a little bit and be entertained and take it to a different place that doesn't make you think about all the crazy stuff happening, then I've done my job. And so that's my goal now. My goal now is to tell a good story and give, give our world just a little bit of escapism for just a bit before they go back into the, the regular craziness that is our life. That is, that is reality, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk a, a lot, uh, actually, about how you do what you do, you know, the, the process of it. And and, and I, I am very interested in just sort of, you know, how that evolves over a career. Do you have what you consider a, a, a process? Do you have do you have any uh, things set in stone or does that valuable question? I think it changes. Uh, I think it's a malleable question. It changes from project to project. Um, certain things I do say I do I do my research I love research research is fun because I'm that guy who likes to sit down and talk nerd talk you know it's like we could talk about you know professional wrestling for hours you know we could talk about you know musical theater for hours we could talk about Star Trek for hours we could talk about Star Wars and get to an argument about which ship is better the Millennium Falcon or the Enterprise we can go we can do that for days so my process with um, my characters are trying to study about them, whether it's uh, Genie or whether it's Thomas Jefferson. And then if you have a character that you have, that you have to create, it's about th- the process changes of, okay, so what does the page say that the script writer has written? And do I know this character? And if I don't know this character, how can I get to know this character? What is there similarities between us? If there's not, I have to find something that I enjoy or, you know, or be empathetic by this character so I can play it. So it all depends if I'm playing somebody that's already out there or someone that's brand new. So I think that's my, my you know, my process for someone that's out there or new or a character that's already created. It's about the research, as much research as I possibly can do. And then with a new character, it's what has the writer written and find that within myself and see if I feel comfortable doing all that to get to the end of where we need to be so what did that where was the start there for uh louis armstrong so that's that's you know there's a lot of text there. oh yeah there's a lot of yeah uh, things you can, so what did what did what was your uh your entry point 
Um, my entry point actually uh, was first the um, was Ken Burns going back and watching that again, and then literally before I, I, I looked up, you know, just Louis Armstrong and Google and found out that he wrote his own autobiography, two of them. Mm-hmm. And I get more I, into I, his head than that. <laughs> I quickly went and bought them, and then the more I studied the man, the more I realized that he was an avid writer, and he loved to. He wrote letters all the time, and he ta- he taped things like he has this reel to reel in his house and he would take hours and hours and hours and hours of stuff. And so I found out that there was a museum um in, in Corona Queens. And those tapes are there. They used to be at King's College and now they're there. And if you're a member you can listen to those tapes. And then I went on YouTube and just listened to every interview I could. I watched all the documentaries, whether it be A and E or the one on Apple or I, you know, I tried to do as much as I possibly could. And then I had some fun and some fun moments where I got the privilege to actually talk to Wynton Marcellus. And he is like a walking encyclopedia of jazz and to talk to him about Louis and to find out stuff. So when it came to Louis, it was reading his books, listening to him talk, listening to his thoughts, reading his letters, because his letters are all in a book now. A lot of his letters are in a book now. And reading those letters and trying to find as much as about him as I could, the essence of the man. And that that's yeah that that's that's what I did with him just as much researching because there's a lot because he's he's such a historical figure people mm-hmm. have written books on him and I also read some of the books that other people wrote but the fun part for me because of the way the role was I really want to know what he thought you know there's always writers that write about the person and that's great you're kind of getting their opinion mm-hmm. of what's going on and I really wanted to know what Louis thought and what Lewis felt about this about the world and his career so when you're you're absorbing all of that you know that's that's a that's a ton of stuff to just sort of plug in where does that go when it comes time to do the show you know like when all of that when all of that is yeah. in you and then you have to actually do the choreography and the, the dialogue the, the yeah. blocking where does all that mix together well the crazy thing is because we have a new show there are certain times where i would uh kind of plead my case to the creatives and say, you know, I don't know if he would say this. And they're like, why? Mm-hmm. I said, well, because in this book, he said this happened, but I don't know if he would say it like that. And also he had a way of talking and, you know, these, this is the lingo he would use. And so I do that. But when it comes time to actually the show, yes, you have to put that information aside and kind of let that be your, your base, your foundation of what you stand on and kind of go with what the script is saying, but let that base and all the information kind of influence all the way you play it, the way you say it, the way you do it. So that's what I do. I let that information influence how I react to my fellow characters, my fellow actors on stage. That that's how that's how I use it. So it's still in the back of my mind, you know, you know, how Lumi would say something or what he would do or how he would react to something, just from what I've read. So that helps me, that informs me when I'm on stage with the folks. And you mentioned this is a this is a new a new show. This is something that is there's there's not a lot of, you know, things from the past to inform what you're doing now. How how much are you finding in these performances that's, you know, sort of surprising you in a way that you're like, oh, this is part of the character that I, or part of this role that I would not have known about until I did it? Well, because some things actually, you know, because you're playing someone, some things come from your own, um, your own life. I didn't realize there's certain, there's similarities between, you know, Louis Armstrong and I, besides just being African-American entertainers. You know, being married a long time, just going through what he went through in his, you know, emotional growth. I, as I read his books, I was like, oh my God, I went through that. So I could kind of pull from my own. And because I'm not directly him, I had to pull from my own emotional moments to 
be able to get to a place I need to get to in the scene. There's, there's many emotional moments because Louis, Louis was married four times and there were, so that means three divorces, you know what I mean? <laughs> so to go through that, uh, I had to pull from my own heartache in different places in my life to get to that place. So I have the information about what happened to him and I have, I know what the scene's supposed to do, but where, how do I use that? And that was an interesting process of having to go, okay, I've got all the information, but now I have to pull from my own pain a little bit to get to the place to where we need to get you for the show. So those were the moments that I, I, I know I should know that it should seem kind of, um, you know, just, of course, of course you would do that. But it did, once we started working, I was like, oh, that's where I got to go to get to here. And that's the kind of what I learned. Also, it's really about trusting when you're in a show like this, you really have to trust your acting partner. And I have some amazing acting partners in this show, the four ladies, um, you know, Khalifa and Taria and Jenny and Brennan, and then also Gavin, who plays King Joe Oliver. I have to have a moment with him. And then Lincoln Perry, DeWitt Fleming, I have to have a moment with him. So these, these acting partners that I have, I really have to um, trust that they they also are doing their, their due diligence too. So we can go to those places that it's a little hard to go to. I'm always I'm always so interested in the, the the mental juggling act that that theater actors have to do because you describe you describe this process and how complex it sounds, um, but you're also at a certain point having to then also think about spam a lot as well. Uh, so I, I just want to sort of start by asking like, how do you how do you separate these things? You know what I mean? Like how do you how do you focus on one thing, focus on this other thing, and keep them separate, keep them together? Where does that all live in your in your head? It's kind of fun. I kind of look at it as, you know, when you have two pages up on your computer, uh, you know, one says one thing, one says the other. That's kind of how I have to, I have separated my head of like, this is Louis, this is the emotional place I have to go for Louis, and this is Spamalot, and this is when I have to kick in, you know, to my my fun, silly side. And the fun part is the fun, silly side is always there because that's what keeps me as James Monroe Iglehart going, you know, what makes me keep look, getting up in the morning because I love to laugh and I love to smile or to be happy. That's just me. So that side also influences Louis because Louis was also, you know, an entertainer, a jokester. He couldn't help himself. So what happens when I play, when it's time to go to King Arthur, I just let my silly side come more out and go, okay, over here. And also I take time in the day. One day is for Louis, part of the day is for Louis Armstrong. And I concentrate on that, you know, I read his books and go that. And the other day I kind of have to shut that down and then go to Spamalot, get my script out, go to it, watch the movie, uh, watch the, you know, the clip from our show, the, you know, from rehearsals to know what's going on and, you know, stay within that world and my mental world and know where that break is and go, okay, this can't slip into this and this over here. And also it's kind of easy because the shows are so different. They're not going to flip into, my friends keep saying, are you going to walk on stage and talk like King Arthur? Or are you going <laughs> to walk in, walk in Spamalot and start talking like Louis? I was like, nah, you don't have to worry about that. They're definitely separate. But I do take time in my day to work on both projects so that I can uh, do them equally and do them both justice. Yeah. What has the the rehearsal process been like for Spamalot? Is 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 it helped a, a little bit by the fact that you had recently done the show? Oh my gosh, yes. I, I don't think I don't think I would have been able to do it if I hadn't already done it. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is I'm I fly in on a Sunday and then Monday Monday morning I'm there all day. And then I'm there for two hours on Tuesday before I fly back to Chicago to do the show that night. So I am there, you know, my cast is so full of patience and so full of grace and so full of wonderful love to allow me to have this crazy schedule. So it's for me not to be there all the time. And um, 
you know, I have a wonderful, uh, a wonderful stand in who is, uh, who's just a great, great guy. And he stands in for me and I, you know, he's, he's the guy who'll be the other study when I'm not around. And so he's doing it while I'm not there. They send in tapes to me and we go from there. I'm interested in the fact that you did, you have just done the show, but you, you've talked so eloquently about how working with your, with your castmates and the people you're in the show with sort of informs the performance. So I'm curious, you know, what it's like to do spam a lot with a, with a different company do another show and then do the same show, but with different people, how does that sort of change what you're giving, what you're taking, what you're sort of, uh, how does that change the role when the role is the same, but the people are, the people are different. Um, that's that first moment of, you know, you get into the room and you call people or I, 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 uh, when I found out who was going to be paying Patsy, the first thing I did was, uh, call Chris, Fitz, Christopher Fitzgerald and say, Hey, let's talk. <laughs> let's, uh, since we're do, we're so close, let's, let's talk about what we think will be fun. What, what do you like to do? What do you go? So we, so we make sure that we are on the same page with what's going on. And then we get into the room and we just start playing, you know, the fun part with a show like that is it's really about the play of it. You know, let's just go for it. Let's read the script, see what's funny, and then just start throwing out ideas and see what works with us, what clicks. And, you know, the great thing is for me, because King, the way King Arthur's written, it's just pretty much kind of like me and Patsy on our own adventure, going to these different spots and seeing these different people. And some of the people I've uh, in the show I've worked with before, and there's only really one new person that we really have, and that, that's Taryn, Taryn Killingham. And he's fantastic, but I've known Taryn for a while. So, you know, the fact that we get to work together after all this time is great, but I've, you know, we're not the best of friends, but I, he's a great, he's a great guy. I love the guy, but um, I've known him enough to go, I trust you. And I think we're going to have a great time. So we got to the room. I looked at him and I said, Hey, where do you want to go? He said, where do you want to go? I said, well, let's, let's, let's see what happens and see, see where we get to. And it's been fun ever since, you know, and that's when you need a director who um, is able to wrangle all of those crazy personalities and all of those comic geniuses into you know it's like herding cats because if you give <laughs> us an inch we're not going to be doing spam a lot we are doing a completely improvised show that is still funny but not the show we're supposed to be doing there has to be some <laughs> some structure something yes there, yeah so uh josh ray he goes okay guys come back come come back and he rouses us all together and puts us together so that's that's kind of how it works it's it's um being there in rehearsals we really kind of do um buckle down and go okay what's up because we don't have a lot of time because i am gone so it really is about, okay, let's focus on here. What are you going to do? You like that? Okay, let's try something different. And we try it a couple of different ways and we find something we like. Then we move on to the next and when we come back to that scene, this is what we did before, but maybe we can expand on that. So we really do, it's kind of like really, really concentrated rehearsals because I'm not there as often as I could be. So at this, I think, well, the day we're recording this, previews are starting in about a week or so, 10 days or yeah. so. I'm curious where 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 you where you like to be you know, at, at this point, like, what is the, what is the goal heading into previews and how does that sort of evolve as you get through previews to opening night? You know, what is the, the, the preferred jumps for you? Um, I think when we get to previews, previews is just about getting the show will be up and ready to go. Cause they will have gone through run throughs, but previews are there so we can see what works and what does do. And we will get our rhythm. And so by the time we get to opening November 16th, our, our rhythm will be right as where it needs to be. You know, our first few will probably be frantic. It'll be funny, but frantic. 
And then as we relax into it, we're like, oh, so we can feel where the rhythm is. We feel where the ebb and flow is. We feel where this is going to work and this is not going to work. And then I know what this person is. He's on his A game today or he's on his B game today or he's giving a C show. In Broadway, you know, I always say you have to have an A show, a B show, and a C show. That A show is the one you do for the critics. Everybody's coming and you're going for all the, you know, all the glory. And the B show is the one you do when you're, when you're a little tired. You're like, oh, I can't. <laughs> Can't really hit that note today. So I have a good note. I have a good note. It's going to impress everybody. And that C show is, I think I have a cold, but it's not COVID. And I still have to come to work. So what am I going to do to make this work? Make it to the end. Just yeah. to make it to the end of the show and still be entertaining and people not realize I'm giving a C show. You know what I mean? So we'll find our rhythms and where our A's, our B's, our C's are. And where, you know, when someone's an A and someone's an C, how can we lift them up so it looks like they're a B? You know, that's what previews are for, to go through that. And, um, and also just to realize what, okay, I think we know we, we got what we're doing. You know, it's different when you're doing it in rehearsals without the costumes or anything like that. When you're in previews, everything is there. I know where my light is. I know where the set's going to be. I know where my props are. Everything is there. And so that's just to get you in the rhythm. So when we open, we're just smooth sailing. We know what we're doing now. Do you have any sort of, you know, I, I, a lot of people listen to this. I'm, I'm sure they they recognize that that C show. <laughs> it's a day where they are they are they're they just they know they have to yeah. do something. Do you have yeah. any tips tricks you know to to get there to a place like you mentioned where it might feel to you like it is one of your down shows, but the audience is just they they, they would never notice. Like I I is, is there anything you do to get to that point? Yeah, um, unless unless I am so sick or I'm so hurt or dead, don't come to work. <laughs> If you're going to come to work, give the best you have. And I will say that a lot of the people that work on Broadway are the elite of mm-hmm. when it comes to theater working. So your, and I, I hope this doesn't sound bad and people come at me crazy, but sometimes your 70% mm-hmm. is some people's a hundred. So if you got 70, give the best 70 you possibly can give the best 80 you possibly can. You know what I mean? I probably shouldn't say 70. 70, 70 you probably should not go to work. <laughs> uh, but if you have, if you have, you know, 75, 80, come to work and do your thing. You know what I mean? You're 90, of course. You're 100, great. But you also have to find it in rehearsals. Like in rehearsals, I found, okay, what happens if I if I mark in rehearsals? How sound what does it sound like? Mm-hmm. Oh, that still sounds good. Okay, that means I could use that in a show, and the show will still sound great. And what's my A show? That's my top note. That's my the highest energy that I know I can do that. Great. I can do that. What's my B show? Where's that moment where I, the note is where it needs to be. It's going to be quite impressive, but you know, it gets to show it needs to be, but what is that? What's my base show? What, what would just get me through the show and will work. And you kind of have to practice that. You kind of have to find it. That place where you go, Oh, I can do these things. And the show is still funny. Show is still good. The show will still work and the audience will still be entertained. Where is that? Because right there, that's my base. And then from there, build on that to, to find your your bestest. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I how I do it. I hope that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I was I was actually going to ask sort of something similar. That's just like when something surprises you either during rehearsals or during the show that you know is working. You know, you're like, oh, that's something that I'm going to keep. Is there like an internal yeah. <laughs> like a like oh a, yeah a way to recognize it? You know, besides the obvious, besides being like, well, that's not going to work because it just like fell completely flat. Like, right. is there something in your head that you're like, oh, that I should, I should keep that for the next one. Yeah. I, like sometimes I'll get a feeling and I'll go, Oh, that was cool. What did I do? What did I do? And then I'll try to recreate it again. And if I catch it, 
I'm like, okay, that's it. Or I'll write it down and go, okay, that was good. That works. Or I'll go to whoever I'm acting with and go, did you feel that? Like, yeah, yeah, we did. Let's, what do we do? I don't know. Let's, let's try that one more time. And then we do it again and we do it. And we kind of practice so that we know where that part is. There's always a moment where, um, I remember we were doing, um, Spamalot reading and I said something silly and it made Nick Walker laugh so much. And the next time I did it, he joined in and I looked at him and I was like, keep that. That's, that's it. That's it. And then we just built on that, you know, we just built on that. And, um, the same thing in, uh, in Louis Armstrong, I've done some, I've done some things where a friend of mine will approach me and go, I don't know what you did, but that was funny that night. And I was like, great. <laughs> what was it? And I was like, okay, we'll figure it out. And so I went back and they were like, that was it. And so I was like, I'll, I'll feel it and go, that's it. So there are many times where I'll either write it down or whoever I'm acting with, I'll ask them, you know, was that good for you? Did it work? Cause it really worked for me. And then we kind of like build on that moment. I love that. So like I mentioned, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, they're, they're actors themselves. And I, I try and get as much, you know, tangible, just here's some stuff you can do um, on shows that show days, you know, days where you, you have either, you know, two shows a day, you know, you're going to have to put on a performance that night. Is there anything, you know, that you do that is physical yes. or mental? That, yeah. That, um, for, for, okay. So I'm doing two shows. So this is, this is kind of fun because they're both very different with Louis. He is vocally taxing. So with Louis, I really have to be a hermit. And it's kind of, it was kind of that way with Jeannie too, but it was more on the physical side. Mm -hmm. Jeannie was very physical and I did all kinds of different voices and stuff, you know, going places. So it was really about, it was, I couldn't hang with my, with my homies. I couldn't kick it with my friends. You know, it was really about taking care of your body. So in the morning for Louis, I wake up and I make sure that I steam. I make sure that I eat something that's not going to give me like acid reflux, nothing too spicy or anything like that. I want to make sure I drink lots and lots of water. And when I get to the theater, I try to stretch as much as I possibly can. I try to do my jumping jacks just to get my heart rate flowing, just to get it up. And I definitely warm up, warm up, you know, to the best, not I choose much because I know I have to use the gravel, but warm up enough for my voice is ready where it needs to be. And then I kind of just stay quiet until it's time for the show. Once I do the show in between shows, then I warm down and then I kind of stay away from people. I literally go back to my hotel and take a nap just to allow my body to rest, to get ready for the next show. I get to my dressing room. I do my jumping jacks again, maybe do a push up or two. One more than two, that sounds really lazy. Uh, do do <laughs> a push ups. I eat my, you know, I eat something light. I drink a lot of water and then get ready for the next show. And again, I will go out, I see the fans for a little bit, but I, definitely let them know I have to go home. Now mm -hmm. with spam a lot, I like to watch silly things. You know, I like to watch Looney Tune cartoons or I'll watch a goofy cartoon or I'll watch something really, really funny to me to get myself in that mood. And then I will, that's, I will go to people's dressing rooms and joke with them and have a ball. I want to make sure I touch every person in the show. I go, I go to Nick, I go to, I'll go to Taryn. I'm going to go to Chris. I'm going to go to everybody in the, in the building to let them know, Hey, Hey, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Are you here? here? So we can look eye to eye to get ready for this silliness we're about to do. And then again, you know, I do something physical. I do my jumping jacks, I do my pushups, I just drink my water. And with that show, you know, I try not to eat too heavy, but you know, if I want to eat, you know, a spicy taco, I can for that show. Cause I'm not going to be vocally killing myself. So, but with those things, it's, it's a different mental process. You know, it's a different mental thing of where I need to get into for spam a lot as opposed to Louie, but with Louie, because of uh, how taxing it is, I have to really just stay focused and stay quiet so I can do it with Spamalot. 
it really is about the camaraderie and it really is about going around and playing with people and having fun. So when we get on stage, it's like recess. Mm-hmm. So we can do it, but that's, that's my process. That's how I do it. Well, I'll read something funny. I have, I'm a big Darkwing Duck fan and they have, Darkwing Duck has a comic book and it's really funny. I mean, I know you wouldn't think it's, watching the cartoon is funny, but the comic gets away with so many things they couldn't get away with in the cartoon. And so I'll read that and it's funny to me, or I'll read a Garfield, I'll go to the Garfield comic strips and just start cracking up laughing. Or I'll watch kitten videos of them doing stupid stuff just to get my mind in something funny so that when I get out there, I'm in that mood, you know? I love that. That's all incredibly fascinating. And I, I again, like you mentioned, we could talk about theater for hours and hours, but as we yes. wrap up here, I do I do want to ask just one more question to sort of put some kind of bow on this. And I... I, when you think about, you know, those early, those, those early performances we mentioned, you know, those breakout performances, everything that's come between the breakout with, you know, Aladdin and stuff like that. And where you are now, two shows where you are now as an actor, in what way have you sort of been, are you the same actor now as you were in the beginning? Yes and no. I say, yes, I'm the same actor because I'm the same kid who wants it to be liked, but now knows it's okay if I like myself. If I like myself, I'll be okay. And I'm the same actor who just loves being in front of people. Mm-hmm. I love being silly. I love making people laugh. And I love, you know, just being stupid. I think it's fun. But I'm I'm a different actor because now I'm more confident in the skills I have. Mm-hmm. I have I have a toolbox. Not to break out and say this always works, but I have a toolbox that I've learned over the years of how to do stuff. And, you know, I, I, I want to say, I wish I had that as a kid, but you can't have that because you have to learn them. That's mm-hmm. something you have to learn. You have to learn, oh, this works. This doesn't. Speaking like this loud doesn't help. Screaming does not help. Well, how can I project without hurting myself? How can I, you know, get on stage without, you know, just, you know, getting on stage cold? No, I have to stretch. I'm older now. I'm 49. I've got to stretch before I go on stage. I've got to get my heart rate pumping before I go on stage. You know, I have to warm up and warm down before I get on or after I get off stage. So I have my tools. You know, I know I have to drink a lot of water. I know I have to eat a certain way. I, I got to be on my game when it comes to that. So those are the differences. Those are the, the wisdom that I've learned over the years. But as far as being different, now I'm the same dreamer kid who saw Baloo the Bear in Jungle Book and thought, I don't know what this is, but I want to do that. But when I saw the lion for the first time in The Wiz and I said, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, I want to do that. I want to be on that stage and listen to those people applaud. The first time I heard applause, I was like, that's been my drug since I was five years old. So that part hasn't changed. But what has changed is the maturity of knowing how to do it and how to do it healthily and still have fun with it. And also the one thing that I have learned is that this is a job, but it's also fun. I mean, we get to play for a living. That's what we do. No disrespect to our profession. I love my profession, but we're we're not rocket scientists here. We're not we're not curing cancer here. We're not we're not. I mean, we're bringing world peace uh, one show at a time, sure, but you know we're not solving world peace here. We're actors and we're doing theater and we're entertaining. We are able to change people's minds, yes, through our stories, through our plays, through our movies, through our even something silly as a commercial. We are able to change our change people's minds. But it's in a different way. It's subtle. You know, a joke can change somebody's mind because they see a character and they see themselves in, or they see something that they recognize, but we're too afraid to say something, but they laugh at it in the theater. So they go, oh, maybe I don't think that way. So we are doing that. But 
I also don't want us to take, I also try not to take myself too seriously and think, oh my God, I, I am an actor and what I do changes the world. Man, come on. We do musical theater and I, that's what we do. So I still enjoy that simplicity of the entertainment and excitement of being that kid who saw a show and now I get to do it. You know what I mean? So that part hasn't changed. And I, and I, I think if I keep that childlike excitement about the fact that I get to, I get paid to do recess for a living, I'm good. I love that. Well, James, again, thank you so much for being here. This was an absolute pleasure. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure thank to you, talk Vinny. to you. You too as and, well. Uh, yeah, a wonderful world. Spam a lot. Whichever one you can get to, get to it. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.